Les is going to read from John chapter 14. So if you have your Bibles and you want to open to that, that would be fantastic. You'll find it on page 875 from verse 8. And we remember that this is God's word that we read. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, uh, that it's good, uh, that it's available, and that it's helpful to us. And this morning we pray that um, yeah, our eyes will be open to the helpfulness and the power of what you have to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> All right, I don't know if you've... Uh, I was reminded of this the other day. Leon came into the office looking for the stapler, which he often does, right, uh, to staple a big thing of receipts together. Uh, and and, he, and every, every time, uh, he's, he's looking for the stapler and can't find it. And his, his statement was, every time I come into this office looking for the stapler, wander, look for ages, open every cupboard, every drawer, but it's right there in front of me, right? Uh, it's right there. Staplers are like that. But I don't know if you've ever been looking for something and you realise it's right there all along. And it's just something that... I don't know, it's obviously a psychological thing for all of us because it's just so commonplace, isn't it? Where you're looking for something and it's right there. Like it just, I suppose the classic is that you're looking for your phone and you realise that you're holding it in your hand, right? I, you've probably done it. Uh, you're looking for your keys. You're like, oh, I've got to go, I'm running late. Where are my keys? And like you're looking at, lifting up everything and then your hand brushes. Oh, they're in my pocket, right? Of course they are. Um, but you hear it in romantic movies all the time, don't you? In love songs, one person will say to another, they're just about to kiss them, and they're like, yeah, I've been looking for love in all the wrong places my whole life, but <laughs> now I realise it's been under my nose this whole time. <laughs> right? Like, you get that all the time. It's so many movies that happens, right? That's, uh, if you want to put me in your next movie, that's my acting <laughs> skills. Um, or you hear it in regard to detective work or scientific discovery, like, oh yeah, it was there all along. The answer was there all along. Um, in my home, we have a recurring event similar to the ones just mentioned. Uh, but it's about comfort, right? Ashie, my, my youngest, she, uh, she likes to cuddle a toy bunny as she goes off to sleep. And it's, it's adorable. Squeezes it. She's a really good hugger. Um, but but this, this bunny gives her comfort as she drifts off to sleep every night. And, and often in the middle of the night, we'll hear a cry of bewilderment and panic from down the hallway, right? Mummy, daddy, I've lost bunny! Right? And so, so the little darling's woken up. And she's, she's trying to get back to sleep and she, she reaches around for that thing that gives her comfort, but, it, but it's missing. It's not there. And so she's scared. This is my comfort. This is what I need to get back to sleep. She's confused. And so she does what Ashley does best and she yells. Um, and every time, without fail, 
Jackie or I arrived down in a room and to find Bunny, uh, he, there he is, right next to her, tangled in her sheets, but within arm's reach, right there. And she's screaming and panicking for comfort, but it was there all along. And we see something similar in today's passage. This whole section of John, the upper room discourse, where Jesus is spending time with his disciples the night before he dies, deals with this idea of comfort, right? His disciples are frightened, and and rightly so. If you've read chapter 13, it's pretty heavy stuff. He tells them he's going to die. He's going to be betrayed and handed over. Uh, The revolution, as they saw it, was was done. They committed three years to this guy who they believed was the Messiah, and now he's going to die. No wonder they were in need of comfort. And so Jesus sets about comforting them. And we saw it last week when Leon preached to us from uh, the beginning of chapter 14. Just be reminded, Jesus says, verse 1, if you're opening John 14, it would be really helpful. I'll be moving through it a bit, right? Uh, Chapter 14, verse 1, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I, come, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place that I am going. He speaks these words of comfort to his disciples uh, now that they know he's about to depart. But, but it wasn't comforting enough for Thomas, as we saw last week, who asked him, well, no, actually, we don't know, mate. Well, how, how can we know the way? And Jesus' response, verses 6 and 7, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you'll know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. But still, not comforting enough. Uh, Because we see Philip say today in verse 8, well, yeah, we need to know the father. And Philip says, well, Lord, just show us the father. That'll be enough. Show us the father. Then then we'll be comforted. And Jesus' gracious but probably frustrated response is this. Philip, you're looking for comfort. But it's been here all along, within arm's reach, right under your nose. Following verse 9. Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been along you such a long, among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? <clears throat> Don't you get it, Philip? How can you say, show us the Father? The comfort you're looking for has been here all along. And over the next five verses, Jesus is going to remind them of this truth. Uh, He's going to show them how to respond to this truth. And then he's going to bring them back to this uh, uh, comforting result of grasping this truth. So I'm going to have three R's, right? If you like sequential sermons, today's your day. Reminder, response, and result, okay? If you like taking notes, go for it. Uh, Reminder, what's this reminder that Jesus gives? Well, in these verses, Jesus reminds them of the comforting truth that if they've seen him... They've seen the Father. He says it a few times. Uh, Verse 9, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you for so long? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Uh, And then again in verse 10, he says says something very very similar. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? And then verse 11, uh, he tells us, Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. I think he's trying to get a point across here. Uh, He's making it very clear. He's saying it over and over again. But it's also a common theme in John. As you'd be aware from our uh, travel through the book of John over the last few years, John records seven I am statements of Jesus. These, are, these provocative statements are, are used by Jesus to show his divinity. Harks back to the Old Testament name of 
God, Yahweh, which is translated as I am. And every time Jesus says one of these I am statements, I am the bread of life, I am the resurrection of the life, I am the light of the world, he, he, is, he is expressing his divinity. He's making himself equal with, with God, with the Father. This is, this is a truth that Jesus has been stating and showing all along. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And John even brackets his gospel with this. All the way at John chapter 1, verse 1, we hear, In the beginning was the Word, Jesus, uh, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then, the other end, right near the end of the book of John, uh, he records the words of Thomas on seeing the resurrected Jesus. Thomas sees and believes, and in chapter 20, verse 28, says, My Lord and my God. It's all through there, throughout the book of John. But not just John. The truth of Jesus' oneness with the Father, it's, it isn't something that's just unique to the Gospel of John. It's all throughout the New Testament. Hebrews 1, verse 3 The Son, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Philippians 2, verse 6, Paul tells us that Jesus is in very nature God. Colossians 1, 15, For the Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Colossians 1, 19, For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, Jesus. It's an incredible truth. Uh, the comfort they are looking for is right under their noses. They've seen it and heard it all along. Knowing Jesus is knowing the Father, the Creator, the God of all creation, Yahweh, the great I Am, Adonai, any other beautiful, comforting, wonderful name that a first century Jew could come up with for God. There he was, right there, sitting on the floor, breathing the same air, eating the same food. The comfort is there. But what do they do with this amazing truth? Well, there needs to be a response. And Jesus calls them to respond uh, to this truth. Uh, the response is to actually look at this evidence and believe. Look at the evidence and believe. Have a look at uh, verse 11. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Believe me when I say it, or at least believe the evidence that I've shown you. Verse 9 shows that they should have noticed by now, and now verse 11 saying, and you better believe, guys. Why? Well, what are the evidence? His miracles. His miracles. John, actually, as we would probably also recall from our travels through John, John calls the miracles signs. And they are called signs because they point to something, as all good signs do. And, and, and this thing they point to is the reality that Jesus is God in human form. This is John's based his whole gospel around these seven signs. In fact, the whole point of John's gospel is that you would see and believe. Flick to John chapter 20, a few pages. Uh, this is sort of John's summary statement. I love this in Bible college. People would often ask, oh, what's the purpose of this book of the Bible? And you're like, oh, man, it's hard. You've got to run through it. John, really easy. You look at John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. Uh, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in his book, verse 31. But these are written, this is why John wrote his gospel, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John's like, it's there all along. See and believe, see and believe. Jesus is reiterating this again. And all through John's gospel, we see this term, believe. Which to John, it means more than just thinking something is true or agreeing that it's true. 
It means to, to, to center your whole self on something, to believe it with, with all, of, all, all of yourself, to completely trust on it, depend on it, uh, find your identity in it. That's what it means to believe in the Gospel of John. And if you've seen what Jesus has done, why wouldn't you believe? Why wouldn't you get on board? Let's, let's have a look at it. Uh, is this up here? Can we flick to my computer, please? Uh, these are the seven signs in John. Uh, front PC. Cool. I'll, I'll run through them anyway. Uh, there we go. Oh, man, I always do a bad job of this. I'm so sorry. Katie, maybe that's a job you can do. You can go through my PowerPoint slides and um, <laughs> make them legible and readable. Is that all right? Can you read it? Anyway, uh, there's, there's, there's the seven signs. Changing the water into wine it shows Jesus' power over substance. He changes the very substance of something, something only God can do. Healing the official son. That's his power over space. He's not even in the same place and he, and he makes this person get better. Healing the paralytic, this guy who's been paralyzed for many, many years. Jesus turns back the clock and makes everything all right. It's power over time. Feeding the 5,000, power over quantity. Walking on water, it's power over nature. Healing a man born blind, power over sickness. Raising Lazarus, just that ultimate power, isn't it? The power over death. These are the signs. These are the signs that point towards the fact that this guy is, you've seen him, you've seen the Father. Only God can do these things. Do you get it? Do you get it? And reading these amazing stories is something, uh, this is something I want to center my life on. This is someone I want to base my identity on, Jesus. And Jesus comforts them by reminding them of the truth, seeing the Father is seeing him, and then he calls them to believe and base their lives on that truth. Now he's going to tell us the result of believing in such a revolutionary truth. What is the result of this? Follow verses 12 to 14 with me. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I'll do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. It's the result of this belief of centering your life on Jesus. <clears throat> These verses tell us two things. Firstly, that they, the disciples, or us, by continuation, will do greater works than Jesus did. Will do greater works than Jesus did. And secondly, he will do, Jesus will do whatever we ask in his name. It's a pretty big call. Hey, we will do greater works than Jesus. And he will do anything we ask. He will, anything we ask. In his name. Now, I think both of these need a brief explanation, right? So we can actually uh, not uh, misconstrue Jesus' intended meaning. So, what does it mean that we will do greater things than he did? Because we've just looked at those seven signs, right? I don't know, anyone done any of them? No. I, once I, I was at a party and we didn't have enough food, and I'm like, oh, here's my chance. And so I drove to the shops and bought more. And then, yeah, multiplied food, but not in the same way Jesus did. And so you look at that and you're like, how are we supposed to do greater things than Jesus? Well, this is where we need to think about the word greater. It doesn't mean better. It doesn't mean more amazing, but it means greater in scope. In other words, we'll do more deeds than Jesus did. Uh, we'll, we'll have a, a, a longer, ongoing influence than what Jesus did in those three years that he lived and, uh, and performed these signs. 
uh, will continue his work of speaking the gospel, loving others, welcoming the stranger, performing miracles, where we'll reach a far wider audience than Jesus did in his very small locale of the day. But Jesus says this is only possible because he's returning to his father. Jesus, Jesus leaving his disciples will mean that they will be able to go on to do greater things. Jesus leaving his disciples will mean that they're able to go on to do greater things. What's he mean? Well, to understand this, we need to know that returning to the Father isn't referring to his death. Him dying isn't returning to the Father. He's actually referring to his ascension. Jesus died to forgive our sins. He rose three days later to raise us to new life. And then he ascended in bodily form. And now he's in heaven by the Father's side to represent us in the throne room of God. And when Jesus returned to the Father, he sent his promised Holy Spirit, God in us, to equip us and empower his followers to do greater things than he did. We'll be delving more into that in the coming weeks. Uh, But it is comforting to his followers that even despite his apparent absence in the flesh, he will be with us in his spirit to continue the mission. The mission isn't ended. It continues through the work of his people, empowered by the very presence of God that is sitting at the table with them. So that's what it means. Not greater. Greater doesn't mean better, but it means more and and continuing. Now, let's have a look at the second promise, because this is a big one, uh, that Jesus will do whatever we ask in his name. Jesus will do whatever we ask in his name. Verses 13 and 14, it's worth reading again. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me anything in my name, and I'll do it. We need to be careful with this one, right? We can't claim this is a promise that Jesus will always give us what we want and what we ask for. Sorry to bear that news to you this morning. Uh, But if you've been praying for something for a very long time and it doesn't happen, if you've you've read this verse wrong, then you're going to think Jesus has failed or Jesus has let you down, right? And so it's, it's important to be able to understand this verse correctly. Jesus says he'll do whatever you ask for in his name. In his name. So what's that mean? Well, we all do it, don't we? At the end of our prayers, we say, please help, blah, 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 in Jesus' name. Is that what it means? You tag on in Jesus' name at the end, that's like the stamp of approval. It means it'll definitely come into fruition. Unfortunately. Well, actually, probably fortunately. Um, I'd hate to have that power at my disposal. So it's not a matter of tagging in Jesus' name at the end of the prayer. It, in his name means in accordance with who he is. In accordance with his will, which is in perfect accord with the Father's will. Uh, and so Jesus is promising that because he is perfectly united with the Father, we who follow him and are filled with his Spirit will be perfectly united with them. And as we believe in him, we're transformed more into his likeness and we start to reflect his priorities and we begin to increasingly pray in accordance with his will. He'll answer anything asked in his name, uh, according to his will. And so the more we know and love Jesus and the more we're united to him through the spirit within us, the more we will pray in accordance with his will. And so when we believe this beautiful truth that Jesus is one with God, we're comforted by the fact that, that we'll do great works for him and that all of our prayers in his name will be, will be answered. But why is this comforting? Why is all of this comforting? Because Jesus, Jesus says all this. He reminds uh, his disciples of his oneness with, fa- with the Father to comfort them. So how do they bring comfort? How do they bring comfort? 
I want to finish by just going, going back through these points and showing how they bring me comfort and uh, hopefully bring you comfort as well. And firstly is this. We, we have comfort that our prayers are heard. We have comfort that our prayers are heard. God's not far off uh, because Jesus is our mediator. He's fully God, uh, but he's also fully man. He's able to bridge that divide between sinful human and perfect God. And so he's our ambassador in the throne room of God. What a comforting thought to know that Jesus is standing there interceding on our behalf in the very throne room of our Father God. And so through this comfort, pray bold prayers in his name, in accordance with his will. Know that your prayers are heard and answered uh, because of the intercession of Jesus. Be comforted to know that your prayers, all of your prayers, come before the throne of God and those in his name will be answered. And secondly, we have comfort that our mission's not over. Christ's mission's not over. His disciples had staked everything on the mission of the kingdom of God and they needed comfort now knowing that, that this king, this guy, this leader was, was going. They needed comfort knowing they hadn't wasted their time on this. Right? They'd given everything up. And Jesus tells them that they will continue this mission, even greater works than he did. Take heart in this. We're part of the kingdom of God on a mission to preach forgiveness, to change the world through love and compassion, to act justly, to love mercy. We need it, regardless of what happened yesterday in the election, the outcome doesn't change, right? Because Jesus promises us that the mission's not over. Think about that. Uh, we, we don't need to worry about changing governments or even how difficult freedom of speech or freedom of religion is. We will do greater things. We will continue the mission. If you believe that Jesus is one with the Father, you will, you will continue his mission. So do it boldly. Do it trusting God. Yes, the age of Christian freedom and favor, favor may be coming to a close, but, but we're going to get over that, right? Move on. Uh, suck it up because we have a greater promise from our God, Jesus Christ, that we will do greater things and that we are part of a kingdom that not even the powers of hell can prevail over. Think about that. The mission continues because Jesus has gone to the Father. And thirdly, if Jesus is one with the Father, then we, we have a comfort that there is a God, that there is a God. In Jesus, we've seen God. And if Jesus is an exact representation of God's likeness, then we know what God is like. And personally, I like it. I like it. I like the picture God shows me. Uh, Jesus shows me of God. A God who is powerful. He raises the dead. A God who is compassionate. He heals the sick. A God who is merciful. He forgives and welcomes us as his children. A God who is loving, who would send his own son to die in our place. A God who hasn't given up on us and who promises to restore all things. And if there is a God... There's hope, there's purpose, there's a future. And if there is a God, he will prevail, he will win. I think Jesus' divinity is so important to grasp for another reason. We can't prove the existence of God. We can't sit in a laboratory or even use great watchmaker arguments or wind or whatever to try to prove the existence of God. Some of these might help, but it can never be proved. But Jesus' life, has been recorded for us to examine and historically evaluate. And if we believe these stories are true, 
and historically it's very hard to doubt, then the logical conclusion that there is a God and he has been revealed to us most clearly in the person of Jesus. What a comfort. What a comfort. And so right now, I want us to spend a few minutes in silent reflection. Some music will play for us. And I want you to ask yourself these questions. Uh, Where do I need comfort? Where do I need comfort? What's that thing right now? What's that bunny rabbit in your bed that you can't quite find, right? Where do I need comfort right now? And how does knowing that Jesus is one with the Father bring that? Maybe Maybe it's comforting to know that your prayers are heard. Or that the mission continues. Or that there is a God. Or maybe it's something else. We need to spend some quiet time praying and reflecting uh, and thinking through how this truth brings you comfort. And then we'll worship together.